As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. I think there are certainly some myths out there about deconstruction that it's oh well you just wanted to sin or you know you were never really saved you just couldn't be bothered nobody goes that deep into their core beliefs and risks community and risks their core identity because they just couldn't be bothered i was on a plane and there's a pastor you would know the name if i shared the name we happen to sit next to each other and he's talking about the doubters club they had a little over three hours and he didn't have a space outside of that small aisle chair to say, I'm deeply grieved by the way things are currently going and by his own theology. And there's a paycheck attached to that theology. And there's a paycheck attached to that methodology. And so for him, it's like, I I don't know where to go with these questions, actually changing where he's landing on issues. Educated, loves people, loves God very much but just the tradition that he finds himself in, it's hard for him to get out. There's a lot of people that are speaking out about deconstruction, but then there's a ton of people that are on the fringe, a whole crowd of people that are like, we've been waiting for someone like this in our communities. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that aims to get Christians and non-Christians thinking about the topics that really matter to all of us. Today we are talking about another important topic and we would love to hear your thoughts on this so do get in touch by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk. But for now, let's jump in on today's discussion. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable. Today we are talking about deconstruction in the sense of deconstructing Christian faith, or becoming exvangelical is another phrase you might have come across. It refers to a process, some would say a movement, where individuals critically examine their beliefs, doctrines, and assumptions about Christianity. It often involves reevaluating traditional interpretations of scripture, exploring different theological perspectives, and grappling with doubts and uncertainties. Many proponents of deconstruction argue that it can lead to a deeper and more authentic faith by shedding outdated or harmful beliefs and embracing a more personal and nuanced understanding of spirituality. Critics, on the other hand, express concerns that deconstruction can result in a crisis of one's most foundational beliefs crumble beneath them. But is this at all surprising? With failures of the church to reflect Jesus, with abuse by Christian leaders in the news daily, Where is one to turn? Will deconstruction take you deeper, or will it destroy your belief altogether? A very warm welcome to my guests. On Unbelievable Today, we have Olivia Jackson and Preston Ulmer. Uh, Olivia, seeing a lack of contemporary literature on faith deconstruction, carried out 
her own research. She wrote a book entitled Uncertain, which weaves together her story with the stories of 140 others into a collective memoir of deconstructing faith. Olivia, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, Vince. Preston uh, Ulmer is also with us. He is founder and director of the Doubters Club, an organization that encourages Christians and atheists and everyone in between to model friendship and pursue truth together. Preston is an author whose books include Deconstruct Faith, Discover Jesus, How Questioning Your Religion Can Lead You to a Healthy and Holy God. Great to have you with us, Preston. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm so looking forward to speaking with you both. As I, Even as I gave those introductions, I realized you both are working in areas and embracing words that it would be easier to avoid. Uh, deconstruction and doubt are not exactly the words that tend to make you most popular at church. Uh, both of you have, in a sense, centered your work and in, in ministry in areas that a lot of people try to avoid. And we might, I thought we might just start by asking why. W- what has motivated you both to focus in the ways that you have? Olivia, maybe you'd be willing to start us off there. Yeah, I well, I went through my own deconstruction process for a long period of time and really, as you said, got frustrated with the lack of literature which really reflected ordinary people's journeys. And particularly being based in the UK, I found a lot of the voices out there were American. And it just, it is a different church context. And I kind of thought, well, where are the British voices? And then thought, well, then I should write something and then had a crisis of confidence, but wanted to really, I enjoy hearing people's stories. I enjoy collecting stories and yeah, ended up getting more than I bargained for with all the interviews, but it was just phenomenal to hear from people. And it was Sure, it's it's a controversial topic in, in some circles, but it was a tremendously uplifting, moving and uplifting process, I think, and not something to not something to be afraid of. Wonderful. Uh, I spent twelve years in, in the UK, so I do appreciate that distinction that you're that you're talking about. I mean the response when, when you first asked people for potential responses in terms of your research, was it surprising? Did you expect the number of responses that you received? No, it was it was a fairly lengthy survey that I put out and I thought maybe I'll get 50 people filling this thing in. Maybe I'll interview 20 of them. I put it on a couple of platforms online and it just kept going and kept going. I think about 400 people filled it in in the end. And of those, probably about half offered to be interviewed. And for various reasons, I didn't get to interview all of those who offered, but they were from all over the world, really, probably about half from the UK. Wow but scattered, scattered everywhere. Wow. What a privilege to be able to listen to uh, such a diversity of, of stories. And, and Pres- Preston, you founded the Doubters Club. <laughs> Most people <laughs> run from doubt. <laughs> you sort of ran toward it. Tell us a bit about your motivation. Yeah. Well, I like the phrase that Olivia used, ordinary people, that these deconstruction surrounding ordinary people. The Doubters Club something that I started about six to seven years ago in Denver, Colorado. And it was me and a friend who don't think like each other. He's an atheist and I'm a Jesus follower, but I have a history of doubt, a time where I just questioned everything, part of my own deconstruction journey. And that set the trajectory to just, I I think being discontent, at least in America, uh, with the traditional model of what it means to connect with God 
and then to live in community. And so in here in the States, there's a lot, especially in evangelicalism, there's a lot of certainty seeking Christians. And I just, I just find that to be um, wholly dissatisfying. So the doubters club is where you get two people. They don't think like each other. They're co-moderating conversations. It can never take place in the church. It's in coffee shops or pubs or bars. And, and we have over a hundred doubters clubs in the world. We've trained people and that, that kind of continues my deconstruction that I don't think it's just a phase. I think it's a way of thinking now, like kind of de-weeding a flower bed, if you will. And, and so the, the more I continue to do doubters club, the more I realize this is, this is the only way I really know how to be an authentic Jesus follower. So that'd be my journey in a nutshell. And you're right. It is a peculiar lane. I don't know if you feel that, Olivia, but I do feel that at times of when we speak on it, it's like people feel uncomfortable, which makes me wonder, what do we think we're doing if we're not deconstructing in order to find a more pure faith? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is, as you say, a peculiar lane to follow, Beth. But, and yet at the same time, I think it's a huge movement right now. Yeah, so we, we're part of something bigger at the same time. And as you say, it's, it's an ongoing and I think lifelong journey and, and way of being, really. Mm, well said. Well, I'm sure you both have received uh, significant pushback at times uh, for your efforts. I certainly want to personally thank you both uh, for investing so much of yourselves, having looked at both of your, your books, just into loving and, and really listening to, to those who have struggled with faith and in particular to those who have been hurt by the church. I think that's so deeply needed right now. There's just so much that I want to talk to you both about. I'm excited <laughs> to hear more about uh, each of your stories. But just to start with, I thought, I thought we might start with some definitions so we can be sure we don't miss each other at all in this conversation because that word deconstruction, it can get thrown around a lot. It's a, it's a term that has some baggage to it. It has a substantial philosophical history that some people carry into the conversation and some don't. Uh, I just like to hear from each of you on this first, so we have a baseline for the conversation. Maybe you can start us off there, Preston. How do you use the term when you use that term deconstruction? Yeah, when I use that term, what I'm talking about, and this is not unique to me, I, I, I'm quoting someone else here, but I'm talking about the picking apart of a belief, a system, or a practice, and then testing it for its truthfulness, usefulness, and effectiveness. And, and that's what I mean when I'm speaking of deconstruction. And I, I realize we're using same vocabulary, different dictionary with just about everyone that we come in contact with. So I'd love to hear Olivia's definition of it too. Yeah, I'd very much agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think I phrased it as in the book as something like profound reassessment of one's core faith and core yeah. beliefs. So very, very similar, but it is, it's definitely a very profound and core thing and not just, oh, I changed my mind about one or two things. It, it goes deep. It goes to identity. And, and what did, and can I ask a question about that? Sure. You interviewed more people than I interviewed. Um, what did you find started their deconstruction journey? Was it like, I have people ask me a lot, is it personality style? I'm like, that's not personality style. What in your research? It was, it was a mixture, sadly, for an awful lot of people. It was some profoundly negative experiences in in Christian spaces and I don't just mean they didn't like the preaching I mean there was some serious 
serious controlling, demanding, and often even abusive behavior going on. For others, it was simply running into the harder parts of life where the faith that they had carried didn't make sense anymore or dis just didn't have a theology for those that what they were experiencing. It was a real range of things across it. I think there there were certain themes, but it was certainly actually, hang on, the faith I know or the beliefs as I've been practicing them just don't work in this in this context. Yeah, it's interesting you use the word profound. Olivia found that helpful. Because I was thinking there are lots of different things in life where you do a review or, or you do an assessment and you do annual reviews at work. Every five years, a company gets their, their mission statement, their core values, their practices up on the board and says, you know, do we need to tweak anything? Is this still what we're committed to? But, but it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, from both of your perspectives, that deconstruction is something that's deeper than and it's more whole scale than just a review or an assessment. Is that fair? I think there are certainly some myths out there about deconstruction that it's, oh, well, you just wanted to sin or, you know, you were never really saved. You just couldn't be bothered. It's just a, it's just a fashionable thing to do, this kind of stuff. And, and I think that profundity really lends the lie to those myths. Nobody, nobody goes that deep into their, their core beliefs and community and risks community and risks their core identity because they just couldn't be bothered or. And and we're talking we're talking clergy and pastors here too. We're talking people are walking away from decades of employment. No, but nobody does that because it's just a tweak or because they just wanted to sin or whatever. To that point, I even I remember I was on a plane. This is in the middle writing deconstruct faith, discover Jesus, and there's a pastor who he said, "Don't ever share my name, but you can share the story." So this is you would know the name if I shared the name. But he we just actually happened to sit next to each other. And we start talking and he's talking about the Doubters Club. It was a coast to coast flight. So we had about a little over three hours. And to Olivia's point, he didn't have a space outside of that small aisle chair to be able to say, I'm deeply grieved by the way things are currently going and by his own theology. And there's a paycheck attached to that theology. And there's a paycheck attached to that methodology. And so for him, it's like, I, I don't know where to go with these questions, not just questions, but actually changing where he's landing on issues. Educated, loves people, loves God very much, but just the tradition that he finds himself in, it's hard for him to get out. And so I think that there's even, there's a lot of people that are speaking out about deconstruction, but then there's a ton of people that are on the fringe that I'm hoping both Olivia's book and my book will empower the fringe, honestly, to be able to say, I can live an authentic way because behind them, there's a whole crowd of people that are like, we've been waiting for someone like this in our community. So mm. there's just layers, layers, layers. It's so profound, both personally and communally. I, I just, I think that we are, there's a wave coming and and to be able to participate is a huge honor. I want to pick up on the word that Preston just used, authentic, actually, because that was a word which came up again and again and again in interviews, is people searching for or, or discovering that sense of authenticity as they go through this process. It was a real people saying, I feel this is an authentic thing. This is an authentic journey. I feel more authentic now. And at the same time, people saying, but please use a pseudonym for me because mm. you know, <laughs> my family, my family don't know, my church don't know, my 
this is my my employment or my my marriage on the line this kind of thing it was it was really tough stuff i had a number of people whose that's, marriages were under strain wow wow that's really telling this idea of deconstruction obviously we hear a lot of stories of people who who deconstruct from a faith a place of faith into a place where maybe there's not belief in god or there's movement away from from the church as you two understand the term is there something that can happen in the other direction? Is it something where someone who maybe doesn't believe or who is agnostic can go through a deconstruction process with respect to their beliefs and, and possibly even actually wind up in a, in a faith position? Or is there something, one way about it that it moves from a religious position to a non-religious position? Well, I'll say in the doubters club, obviously we would hope that the reverse happens. We don't want to have ulterior motives, but we do hope that you question faith and you question certainty, and that would go for all sides and all worldviews. But it is harder to go, in my uh, experience, I'll, I'll speak for myself here, the people I'm connected to, it's harder to go in that reverse direction because the church doesn't seem to be all that accepting to someone who has been outside, changed their mind, found new perspectives, a new way of looking at the world, but may actually say, I'm intrigued or compelled by the story of this man named Jesus, right? And although they are, they didn't deconstruct out of rebellion, but out of recovery, part of that recovery would be coming to a community. And it is just so difficult to find a church community that would be accepting to someone who has changed perspectives, but is trying to follow Jesus. I, I, that would be the um, mm -hmm. The simplest way I could put it, the more receptive a body of believers are to that journey. And by receptive, I, I actually don't just mean like, yeah, come to a small group. I mean, like they're allowed to participate. They have a voice at the table, those sort of things. Then the more a receptive that person will be to then following a Jesus looking God, as we see in the scriptures. But, yeah. but you can, you could understand it's like the hermit crab thing, but hermit crab outgrows its shell and tries to enter a new shell. It gets chopped up in the process. And and so it's the same deal. Someone's outgrown their shell and they try to re-enter an evangelical church, they're going to be chopped up. So that that's wow. the goal of Doubters Club is to be safe shells in cities. But there is a lot of work to be done, at least here, when it comes to helping churches to be receptive to forever deconstructionists <laughs> and skeptics. Mm. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're both quite positive about deconstruction. Let me challenge that just a little bit. I was thinking about the fact that a lot of Christians that I know, they conceive of their faith first and foremost as a relationship. They would talk about it, a relationship with God. And, and I was thinking about this word deconstruction and wondering how it fits in the context of thinking about faith as a, as a relationship. So even in terms of my relationship with, with my wife, so my wife, Jo, if I tell her that I want to sort of review our marriage or or even do like a marriage assessment, I mean, that actually is something that we do regularly. We want we want to be doing that. We want to be identifying areas to strengthen. But I feel like if I went to her and said, hey, I want to go through a process of deconstruction of our relationship, that might not go down as well. So I just wanted to bring that term into the context of those who conceive of faith first and foremost as a relationship. How would you think about that? Is there any sense in which deconstruction is more natural with respect to ideas or understandings or even structures than it is with respect to relationships? Olivia, you want to go first or? No. <laughs> first, if you want to jump in, feel free. 
here, here's what's so interesting about your question. I don't think deconstruction is something that you would say, okay, God, now's the time that we deconstruct or I deconstruct the faith. I think deconstruction is the way to be in a relationship. And so it's, as you're talking, I'm going back to when Jacob wrestles with God, his name changes to Israel and Israel means to strive with God. Or if you ask rabbis, they might tell you God wrestler and God names the Israelites God wrestlers, right? I mean, his people, the Israelites, God wrestlers. So it's almost as if, hey, deconstructing, being that you're picking apart to find what's truthful, useful, and effective with God and with the way to live with each other, that is the relationship. It's a constant wrestling match back and forth because we're authentically, although we're in relationship with him, we are disconnected from him. We can't see him or feel him in ways that we can with our spouse. And so it, it would be it, it would be much more persuasive to a skeptic to be able to say, hey, you don't have to change that to be in a relationship. That muscle actually might be what is required for an authentic, true relationship. And I, and I think you could find prophets. I think you find Jesus doing the same thing. I think you find, obviously, let's fast forward to the Reformation. You'd find the same thing. It's actually maybe the way to be in a relationship. Not not like you're sitting in a counseling office with God and say, now's the moment we're going to do this. Mm. And, and would you would you say similar about other relationships in life as well, or is that sort of particular to the way you conceive of totally. a relationship with God? Well, now here's where the difference comes in. If someone's listening to this and if they say, wait a second, I, we can't ask God those questions or, or whatever, there's a type of Christianity that is a... I, I referenced this earlier, a certainty-seeking Christianity, right? That it's like, I, I need the answer. And in as much as that's your relationship to God, then you're going to feel very disoriented by this term deconstruction and, and by this way of being. In the same way, if you're in a relationship like like my spouse, my, my wife, Lisa, if it was like, hey, I just, I need to be right in our relationship, or I need her to always be right in the relationship, and that Every disagreement just stops whenever we there's no there's no arguing or or how would we say that passionate discussion okay there's no if there's no disagreements whatsoever the relationship someone's being inauthentic in this relationship and I think that's also true with God is this is why I do not think that the opposite of faith is doubt I think the opposite of faith is certainty and because faith requires doubt it requires wrestling. Yes, I would say you have to do that for healthy relationships. And I think my counselor would say the same thing. <laughs> Olivia, would you agree with that or, or make yeah, any distinctions? Yeah, I mean, I think deconstruction is not a, it doesn't sound like a naturally relational word. And it's and it's it's a term that a lot of people who go through this process dislike, actually. And they prefer mm. something like unraveling or unpicking or all sorts of things. But it, it it's the word that we're using at the moment. It's the word which people are gathering around and therefore we continue to use it. But it doesn't mean that it's devoid of relationship. And I think it's very much you talk about your relationship with, with a spouse. While it's also a matter of kind of going, oh, actually, I always thought this about my spouse because Mike down the road told me this about my spouse. And actually, I'm having to realize that actually that's not what my spouse is like at all. And Mike was wrong. Or, or, or maybe that's just Mike's perspective or Mike and my spouse had a falling out a while back or had an argument over the fence or whatever. It's, it's, it's 
a peeling away of things that other people have said over time and in different contexts to actually get to, okay, what what do I really believe about about God, about the divine? And it's I think it is a profoundly relational thing. And, and, and I think we've lost that tradition, sadly, that Jewish tradition of wrestling mm. w- with, with God, with, with one another, a healthy wrestling with one another. Do you find deconstruction a, a helpful term, Olivia? You kind of reference this slightly. Is it one that you recommend using? You you use in all contexts or maybe just certain contexts or open to other language as well? It's yeah, I mean I I would say I'm open to other language. Any 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 word is a it's a placeholder really for, for what's actually going on. Whether it's we call this pen, well that's just a that's just a sound that we make to represent this object. And and likewise, deconstruction is it's a word that we use to represent this particular process, and it's it's not the same as the Derrida philosophical deconstruction, although there are overlaps. But I think it's it is just the word that we happen to be using. I don't even know quite where people started using it for this particular process, but I think it mm-hmm. also some people have sort of said, well, it sounds like you're dismantling something, or you're it sounds like a negative. And hey, if if the shoe doesn't fit, then the shoe doesn't fit. It just happens to be the word that we are gathering around right now. And I can understand why okay. something like unraveling or unpicking or whatever mm-hmm. may may fit some people better. Okay, great. Jump in briefly, Preston, then we're going to take a break. But go ahead and make a final point. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think my I do prefer the word, maybe a little stronger than Olivia, I prefer the word deconstruction over unraveling. Because it, it is getting to a foundation, right? The idea of you're deconstructing to get to a foundation. And and people in doing this and being specific and not throwing baby Jesus out with the church bathwater, right? You're getting specific now. They're getting to what is the foundation of what I believe, why I believe, all those things. Unraveling, unpicking part. I, I've had a lot of pastors say, what's the difference between this and questioning? And it's an incredibly different process. Mm, um, okay. in, in my opinion, yeah, that's helpful. We're we're going to take a quick break. Remember, we always love to hear from you, our listeners. Don't forget, you can email us at unbelievable at premier dot org dot uk or get in touch on social media, unbelievable se on Twitter or on Facebook, Premier Unbelievable. Still, so much to talk about. You're listening to Premier's Unbelievable with Vince Vitale, and my guests today are Preston Ulmer. And Olivia Jackson will be. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. 
That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Back in just a minute. Welcome back to part two of this discussion on Premier Unbelievable, where my guests are Olivia Jackson and Preston Almer. Today, we're considering the topic of deconstruction, taking a deep, profound dive into what you believe, uh, what you've taken for granted, and perhaps never even questioned. Both of my guests interviewed hundreds of people on this topic and have much to share with us, not just about the idea of deconstruction, but about the real life experience of it. Preston and, and Olivia, you know, some of our listeners may be wondering, is deconstruction for me? Is it something I should do? Or perhaps they're even coming to the realization that it is a process they are in the midst of. I wanted to ask you, sort of on behalf of our listeners, who, when, and what? Uh, who should deconstruct? Uh, and if they should, like when should they do so? And then thirdly, what what is it that we actually deconstruct when when we go through that process. Preston, maybe I'll throw that uh, to you. I know you have an acronym for the way that the model of deconstruction that you recommend, uh, FUSE, F-U-S-E. Maybe that's relevant to to this question, but tell us how you think about this. Well, um, maybe it's just because I wrote the book, uh, but I do think everyone should go on this journey, okay? So I uh, I think it's, in fact, the person who says, I don't need to, in my opinion, would be the person who probably does. Again, when we get stuck into um, certainty, then we just become uh, dogmatic and rigid. So I'd say who? Um, the person who doesn't think they need to, right? The person who is, they already are. Um, what? There is an acronym in my book uh, of lighting the fuse. It's like, you know, I talk about Mount Rushmore and getting a, a face in a mountain and what if we got the face of Jesus in the mountain of religion instead of the face of the church or all those things, you know? So the acronym is find the specific, um, be very specific about it. Don't, don't be general. Uh, let's, let's try to get, instead of saying I'm deconstructing because of hypocrisy, can we get to what it actually was or is that we're talking about? Um, and then the U is understand where it came from or are we dealing with the tradition, a practice, a preference, a bias, or are we dealing with the authority of God as seen in the face of Jesus, which that's, um, that is very important to me, not just the authority of the Bible, but the authority of God as seen in Jesus. Where does that come from? Uh, the S is share the impact. Do this in community with trusted people. Share the impact this is having on you as you're going through it. And then the E is engage with what remains. And if God is, um, is real and has revealed himself to us, then he will remain in the process. So that's, you know, I would say who, people who don't think they need to, and then um, what I, I would say be specific, and then there's the rest of it. Okay. Okay. Olivia, is there anything sort of in that process that you would think differently about? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, who, again, it was, you know, I, it, it, it's that sort of thing of, you know, if, if our face isn't constantly, um, you know, growing as we grow um, as as people, um you know, then 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 is it really is it really living? Um, and I I don't think that um, it's it's a funny mixture because I think you know as I was saying before we we've got away from that sense of wrestling um, as as a sort of as a culture and within Christian spaces we've got away from that sense of wrestling. Um, 
I was very aware that a lot of people I interviewed um, were trying to get away from an idea of should um, because they had spent a lot of time in church spaces where they were being told you should do this, you should believe that. Um, so in terms of who should <laughs> deconstruct, um, that's that's a that's a more complex one for me. But I think mm. you know everybody. Um, I think it's a healthy thing for human beings to wrestle with what they really with with their faith. Um, in terms of what, again, I was I was very much aware of. I, 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 the line that I took in my book was much more observational than it was instructional. Um, I didn't want to write a how to deconstruct, um, partly because, again, I felt a lot of people had been told how to um, within their Christian spaces, but also because I didn't really feel qualified to speak into somebody else's journey. Um, so the what, I think, is very much a kind of... Um, Follow the truth. Follow the truth. Um, and and if the truth is the truth, then you know if you're doing that with integrity and authenticity, then you know you're you're probably on the right path. Um, and there may be some missteps, but um, but even that, what's a misstep? Yeah, I appreciate the humility in that. Uh, so Preston, you know, interesting answer. Sort of everyone. So even the person who you know, is would would say they're finding joy, peace, purpose, fulfillment in their faith, uh, they should still deconstruct. Yeah, I I think so, because if you put the right person in front of them, then they will practice that deconstruction muscle, right? They will deconstruct the person. So let me I'm gonna be stereotypical on purpose, okay? But um in some of my interviews, I didn't just interview progressive deconstruction uh people that are deconstructing i mean let's take someone who's conservative um they are happy with their faith they go to a smaller church everyone kind of thinks the same they have potlucks after sunday gatherings okay which all of these things fine but if you put someone who would be progressive or liberal in their estimation in front of them the um, the likelihood of them being able to connect and continue a relationship with that person is fairly low. And we've seen that in the interviews as people would say, oh, those are my kids. I was just in um, New Orleans this last weekend speaking on this. And that is one of the number one parent that comes up to me would be, oh, my kid is leaving the faith. Why is your kid leaving the faith? Well, they interpret the Bible differently or they don't believe the Bible is the authority. Right. And they would give these things that that has now compromised the relationship. So I'm not saying just for their own good, should they deconstruct, mm. reconsider, have a profound evaluation, as Olivia said, profound assessment, I think is the word, I like those words. But I would say for the sake of the relationships with the people not like them, which in Christianity is highly missional and what it means to follow Jesus. And so that's why, Vince, I say, yeah, everyone needs to do this and be able to do it. And then um, I don't know where I land. I'm still thinking about does that do they go through it and then stop? I think it's a way of being, um, and it can be healthy. And that's I think what Olivia and I are trying to do is contribute to that discussion in a healthy manner. Olivia, reading through so many of the personal stories in your book, uh, you know, it occurred to me that so much of what people like tragically have experienced: uh, abusive leaders, misleading interpretations of scripture, self promotion. All of these things seem to be precisely 
some of the things that Jesus often challenged and, and perhaps you'd say deconstructed. I mean, do, do you think of Jesus as a deconstructionist in that sense? Yeah, I think in some senses, you know, he he very much he did that real profound reassessment of the 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 faith, the beliefs that were around him, uh, both in terms of the religious context, but also the political context. Um, you know, it, it was very much a holistic reassessment of, of the status quo, um, and it's you know I, I think that's very much a number of people sort of said to me, you know, I've shared everything else, but I still follow Jesus. Um, and and look to him and and for some people it was very much a case of looking at the the um, Christian context they were in and going you know that's that's not the Jesus I follow um, you know and 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 for others mm. you know it, it it was a it was it was more of a often where there was severe trauma um, they really felt they actually had to walk away altogether uh, in order to be able to heal. Would you mind uh, Olivia sharing a bit? I mean, from your own personal experience of, of deconstruction, what impact has that had on your view of Jesus or how you think about him? I think, you know, as as with any deconstruction journey, you know, that's that is that's something which is very much in process. Um, mm. And it's, you know, looking at holding things lightly and being able to go, well, you know, well, I am uncertain. You know, I, I've called the book Uncertain because... It is a getting away from certainties um, and a continual reassessment, and it's a it's a relooking at you know how how do we look at at Jesus at um, at who Jesus was at who Jesus is what is worth holding on to and for me that was a a process of of things which I hadn't discovered before things like going back and discovering uh, you know learning New Testament Greek and and learning it from somebody who wasn't herself a Christian. Um, she was actually Jewish. Well, she she described herself as a Jewish atheist, um, but also looking at what other what other Christian traditions have said about Jesus, um, and ultimately a process of kind of going, well, is this someone I want to continue to follow or not? Um, it I, for for me, deconstruction is it, it, it leaves things wide open, and some people have ended up um, or ended up as a is a really poor choice of phrase actually, but some people have gone down an atheist path. Some people have gone down a very agnostic path or a very um, exploratory path. Some people have gone down a path of actually getting ordained. So, you know, it really, and uh, you know, a number of people said, this is this is the Jesus I never knew um, was possible. This is so much better. Um, wow. So in a real process, which just takes different people differently. Absolutely. I mean, how, how about you, Preston, on the one hand, you've recommended deconstruction for everyone. You're really suspicious of certainty, uh, and and yet you're still a pastor. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, tell me a bit about how your experience of deconstruction has impacted the way that you view Jesus. Yeah, it's actually changed the way I view the Bible. I would say is different now. Um, I don't like reading the Bible with a flat reading, where I would just see it all as equally authoritative. I think. That there are parts of the Bible that I would say, hey, that that authority comes from Jesus. There are other parts, um, a lot in the Old Testament, where I'd say I I might wrestle with that till I die, and I, I I see Jesus holding that loosely, not tightly, if at all. So it has definitely changed the way I view the Bible. So I've I've said it. This again is not unique to me, but I've said it before in a way of. I believe in the Bible because I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus because I believe in the Bible. 
So everything that I read in scripture is through this Jesus looking God lens, as opposed to trying to make sense of Jesus through um, everything that I'm reading. And that's, that's actually what brought me back into the faith. So that's been a big um, difference. Uh, and, and it's allowed me to like the, the things that maybe I was more legalistic on before uh, realizing that I need to deconstruct and, and the doubts that I had, the things I was legalistic about, I just, I, I, I don't want to say I don't care about, they just don't matter to me all that much anymore. Um, people matter more to me than, um, doctrine in so many areas. And, and I know that could be a rabbit hole if we went down that one, but uh, mm. that's, that's how it's probably changed the way I pastor as well. Okay. Okay. Do you think there's a natural trajectory from deconstructing church, one's experience of church or evangelicalism in particular to then deconstruction with respect to Jesus? Uh, yeah. I was thinking some people might really want to, you know, pull those apart and say, hey, like deconstruct the church, but that doesn't mean you need to deconstruct your personal faith in Jesus. But on the other hand, I can imagine someone saying, well, look, as you deconstruct the church, as you hear some of the stories that we see in Olympia's book, that's really, you know, within, you know, the doubters club, you know, isn't it the case that if Christianity is true, you know, the Holy Spirit the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is supposed to inhabit the church, inhabit believers, and there's supposed to be a difference, right? Uh, it seems to me we're supposed to be able to look at the church and say, there's something healthy here. There's something here that reflects the, the things that are great about Jesus. And so many people are not finding that when they look to the church. So is, is there actually a trajectory there where when you start to deconstruct the church, you actually wind up realizing, hey, is that actually an argument against the reality of Jesus, if the church is not looking like the church, it seems biblically is supposed to look when Jesus's spirit inhabits the church. How would either of you, you know, respond to that type of reasoning? Do you think there's that natural trajectory? You start deconstructing the church, but if you're actually consistent and coherent about it, you will wind up deconstructing Jesus as well. A lot of, but a lot of people deconstruct the church because they're seeing Jesus more clearly. And a lot of times it's also because Again, what Olivia's talked about, what I talk about in my book is, is this working? Is this work? Like, does this work in the world? And um, so much of what we experience in evangelical, traditional evangelical models, just isn't working. And it's not a, a way that someone said it in an interview. It's just not real life. And so they're deconstructing actually based on the clarity that they're having around the person of Jesus. Um, I would say that this is where it's, really important to say there is a difference between deconstruction deconstructing and deconversion those are different things and so someone who would say oh i'm deconverted out of christianity because they reject the claims not of scripture uh, but they reject the claims of jesus but right the revelation of god as we see here in jesus that would be surely deconstruction might have played a part but that would be a wholly different topic i think than actually saying Hey, I'm deconstructing the church, but they're deconstructing against a different standard, and usually that standard is the ethic of Jesus, and um, and so that's that's where that I, I don't know I, I don't think it one leads to the other. Olivia, what do you think? Did, did you see one leading to the other? I saw I saw the full range. Um, 
I think, you know, for for quite a lot of people, I mean, it, it also begs the question of what is the reality of Jesus? We've, you know, we've got to remember that we see Jesus as a projection very often of our own culture. Um, you know, we're seeing Jesus 2,000 years after he was alive on this earth. Um, we're seeing Jesus through through the lens of the, the you know the culture and the country that we we've grown up in through the through the certainly you know in our case through the medium of the English language etc. Um, and it's you know it's peeling back as well. Well, which bits of this are just my you know my my Western evangelical culture um, or or whatever culture it is that I've I've, I've been in. Um, and I think in terms of sort of the deconstruction deconversion overlap. Again, all over the map, I think that deconstruction uh-huh. can lead lead people to deconvert, um, but then people can deconvert without deconstructing. Um, and and I think you know, and it, and sometimes it doesn't lead people to deconvert. Um, it's you know, and and then certainly there were one or two I'd spoken to who definitely went through the deconstruction, deconverted, and then after a time of healing, actually kind of went actually. I'm ready to look at this Jesus person again. And for some of them, they came back to a very different faith. And for some of them, they went, actually, you know what? I'm an atheist and I don't think Jesus was divine, but I still find him incredibly compelling and someone I want to um, you know, aspire to be like. So, you know, that's all over the map, um, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is it possible to go through a process of deconstruction and through a very profound process where much is taken apart and then reconstructed, is it possible that some people actually wind up, you know, um, with a faith and even connected to communities that look at least on the surface somewhat similar to where they started, but they've sort of gone through this very profound process of deconstruction and actually returned there in a healthier way and a stronger way? Do you both think that that's possible or is it inherent to deconstruction that you wind up in a substantially different place? Well, it depends on if the community will accept you would be a big question I would have with that is, um, yeah, sometimes they're forced to go to a different community because the community doesn't accept them. I I have never, both in research and in interviews and my personal encounters, um, I've never seen someone deconstruct and hold and go back to the exact same way of faith. I mean, that's, it's impossible. Um, but I, I just am, uh, your question makes me think: Does the community would the community accept them? Um, and it's probably unlikely because the community usually plays a part in why that person participated in going down that road in the first place. Yeah, I would absolutely agree <clears throat> with all of that. Um, I didn't find anybody who came back to the same the same faith. Um, it profoundly changed them as well as their faith. Um, and in terms of community acceptance, I think a lot of people were coming from communities where you either buy the whole package or you're out. Um, and that was part of the problem. And so if you go through a deconstruction, you come back in with a with a with a reworked faith, with a with a reassessed faith, you know, you you don't really get back in, um, except possibly as a as a target for evangelism. Uh, yeah. And so, so you know, I'm thinking of this sort of person who, you know, maybe uh, is within a community, maybe an evangelical community of faith, and and goes through a real wrestle about a variety of things, having to do with the church, having to do with the authority of scripture. Uh, goes through you know a season of profound doubt, profound 
reorienting uh, of how they understand things, uh, perhaps for quite different reasons, arrives back at at beliefs that you know core beliefs that look evangelical in nature and and sort of reenters the evangelical church. That's that's the sort of thing that. Uh, either you're saying happens very rarely, or perhaps is is not actually deconstruction. W- which of those two sounds right? Uh, happens rarely for sure. Okay. Um, people who deconstruct out of evangelicalism, again, now in America, a lot of the reasons are going to revolve around politics, things that popped up, and and. Uh, would probably purity culture politics, um, and then issues around LGBTQ uh, inclusion, and so evangelical churches will lean a certain way on all three of those issues. And so, for someone who deconstructed of for any of those top three, for them to they would not re-enter, um, they wouldn't want to re-enter that community because again, that community would be drawing barriers where and lines where they don't draw lines. Yes, sort of assuming assuming that in the end they actually do come to a, a firm belief that is contrary to their original belief. But I'm just thinking, aren't there people who like go through a process of deconstruction and uh, and then actually arrive back for either different reasons or because they've looked more closely to core beliefs that are pretty similar to their uh, original original beliefs? I wonder, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's much of the reason why people start on a process of deconstruction is because something's not working. That's right. And I think it's very difficult for something to not work. You deconstruct and then suddenly it works again. Um, no, I see. I see. That that I, that doesn't tend to be how things work, I think. Um, That's helpful. I think like, like I'm thinking my... It's like an allergy, like my youngest daughter has a peanut allergy, right? So then she goes away from peanuts. She will never re-enter peanuts. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that. Like people are allergic to certain things spiritually. And exactly what Olivia said, it it would just be it would just be um unique. And I, I'm trying the reason I'm talking slower is I'm trying to think if that if I've seen that happen. And I haven't seen that. I I'd be curious if Olivia has either. Yeah, maybe that I'm getting at like a slightly different um, phenomenon. You know, I, I was yeah. I was actually you know thinking partly of of my wife, you know, who went through a season in her master's um, studies and in, in biblical studies um, of sort of profoundly, you know, in my head I was thinking kind of you know deconstructing the way she thought about the Bible um, and, and really being challenged to to see that from the perspective of others, including those that she was sort of studying with, and many years later several years later, I would say that now if I think about what her sort of commitments were, are about scripture today and what they were in her teenage years, the core commitments are actually pretty similar. But there's this in- incredibly profound process that she went through in the middle where, there, where those were really called into question and she became much more mature. Uh, and I, I would say sort of strengthened in who she is as a person and in the way she works through things in in route to that. So that's actually the person that I had in mind that I was trying to think, you know, through, is that a process of deconstruction or is it something which is slightly different? We should have interviewed your wife. We both missed <laughs> it by not interviewing. I would highly recommend wife. it. I would highly recommend <laughs> it. And uh, you have a UK connection, Olivia, as well. Well, well let, let's pause there. We have one more uh, segment, which I'm really looking forward to. I still want to talk about young people 
how uh, they are deconstructing, but we need to take a break first. We will see you back here in a moment. Uh, and let us know what you think of the show by emailing at unbelievable at premier.org.uk. See you in just a moment. Welcome back to the third and final part of our discussion between Olivia Jackson, author of Uncertain, a collective memoir of deconstructing faith, and Preston Almer, founder of the Doubters Club, which creates space for Christians and atheists to model friendship and pursue truth alongside each other. I'm Vince Vitale, and you're listening to Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians thinking together about the topics that matter to all of us. Well, I'm really uh, enjoying learning from you both, uh, Preston and Olivia, and I wanted to start this last uh, segment by reflecting a little bit more generally on this idea of certainty and uncertainty. You both have referenced it. Uh, you both have seemed to speak about certainty as something that we should at least be uh, suspicious of. Uh, the title of your book, Olivia, is Uncertain, and the un is in uh, parentheses, which got me thinking about this. And perhaps the fact that it seems like we need to be certain about some things um, in life, sort of bedrock assumptions, right? There are, there are certain things, the fact that our reasoning processes are aimed at truth. You know, so some people would say that objective good and evil exist, or, or that truth itself has value. Like there's, there's certain bedrock, bare minimum assumptions that we at least have to have a high level of confidence in to even be able to have this sort of conversation that we're having. And yet, you know, on the other side of things, it's quite clear that having certainty about everything is really problematic and leads to all sorts of unhealth and all sorts of harm. I remember when I was teaching seminarians, I, I used to ask them early in the year, identify, write down a belief of yours that has changed significantly in the last few years. And my point was that if you couldn't think of any substantial belief of yours that changed in any way in the last few years, that might be problematic. That that might mean that you have actually stopped listening to others, or at least in such a way where what they have to say could actually persuade you. So, but what I want to talk about is how are we supposed to know the difference? Like, how are we supposed to determine, this seems so important to deconstruction, what is actually healthy and okay for us to be certain about, or at least have a high degree of confidence in, and then what goes into the box of the things that actually we should be quite uncertain about, and we should be very open, open-handed about that. Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Olivia. You know, how do you approach this? How do you think about what it's okay to be certain about and what we should actually be uncertain about? I'm kind of in favor of questioning everything. Okay. But I think you know there is there is a basis of values which our society or societies have have agreed upon. You know, largely on the basis of not doing harm to other people. I, I I'm aware that you know I, I'm aware as I say that that one of the hardest things for me about deconstruction was actually facing up to harmful things I did and said to other people in the name mm. of God, and particularly when I was well, you know teens, twenties, et cetera. And I I whilst feeling that, you know, oh, this this belief system makes me a better person. So I think, you know, it's it's the matter of actually kind of going, where am I harming other people? Where am I harming myself? You know, we we can do all these things in in healthy or, or less healthy ways. And and that, you know, that's inside church and, and outside of church. And that is, you know, with a set of beliefs or without that set of beliefs. But uh, I think a sort of a basis of shared values 
is a good place to start. Mm. And that's one of the places I think your book is so helpful, Olivia, because it really helps to identify where are people being hurt. And if we listen well, it's so important that we come to a deeper understanding of that. Preston, how about how about for you? Does that resonate, what Olivia shared? Yes. I I think questioning everything. In fact, you were in when you posed us the question, Vince, you said certainty once and or many times, and then you said high levels of confidence. And I would say those are two very different things. And we Okay, operate, great. Yeah, share more about that. Yeah, we operate in high levels of confidence. And l- let me just speak like pragmatically here, like this, I'm in my house, I'm in my office right here. If someone were to say, and we have storms going through, if someone were to say, hey, how, how do you know, how are you absolutely certain that your house won't topple over when a heavy storm comes? I, I don't have absolute certainty, but I have high levels of confidence. Okay. So I will mm-hmm. commit to a course of action based on the confidence that I have. And then you go to what the Christian faith really is, which is not these absolutes necessarily. It's based on a relationship with God. So I'd speak with my wife, right? If I'm getting married to Lisa and someone said, how do you know when she's 50, she's not going to run off with some 25-year-old? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. And you should not attend my wedding. Okay. (laughs) I don't know with certainty, but I have a high level of confidence based on what I've learned in my interaction. So I will commit in the face of uncertainty based on the confidence I have. That to me is life in general. It's like, if that's the expectation of what we can see and the relationships we can actually feel, how much more should we say, of course, that's acceptable to the God that we can't see and we can't actually feel among us yet. So that, that's what I'd say. Confidence and yeah. certainty, very different things. No, helpful distinction for sure. And and in the process of deconstruction, do you find it challenging not to trade one certainty for another? You know, so like not certainty with respect to maybe belief in God or our church commitments, but you know, potentially certainty, a really high level of confidence with respect to the fact that everyone should deconstruct, or maybe that at least they shouldn't wind up back in the perils of evangelicalism? Is there a temptation or a challenge there to wind up trading one certainty for another? Yeah, I think you could become a fundamentalist in the deconstruction world for sure. And someone I interviewed, Josh Harris, he you know he saw this with the deconstructionists that he's interacted with. They're just, and, and we've all seen it, you can become a fundamentalist type person on any topic, whether you'd be progressive or whether you'd be conservative on any topic. And I, I think what we're looking for is not, we're not looking to stay in a state, a state of perplexity, right? Where we're like, okay, well, it's all up for grabs. I think what we're looking for is a state of humility of saying, okay, I, I will identify this is my bias, right? I mean, I yes, I said, I think everyone should deconstruct. I'll also admit that is a Preston Ulmer bias and preference, but you did ask me what I think. So, so that if we can just identify that opens our hands a little bit, that hey, that's a that's a preference and a bias, maybe an educated one and an informed one, but nevertheless a personal one. Yeah, great. Maybe you could speak to that as well, Olivia. You know, even it's in, right in the title of your book. You know, should we? I mean, should we be certain that we should be uncertain? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, it's it's a real it's a real difficulty when you have grown up with a very black and white mindset, with a very certain mindset, because actually simply in the way that our brains work, 
it is very difficult to go from that to a place of questioning, uncertainty, listening to dissenting voices, voices I disagree with, this kind of thing. Very easy to swap one black and white mindset for another. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, you know, a real deep dive on deconstruction, it doesn't just turn the tables over. It gets rid of the tables. It goes, you know, do we need tables? Maybe we need chairs. Or what about what about what they're doing over there, which I always thought was wrong? You know, I think there's been so much, certainly the background I have come from, there's been so much othering. And it would be very easy to just turn around and, you know, do the othering back the other way. And I think, you know, for, for me, doing this journey with integrity means listening to the voices I disagree with from from sort of whatever whatever source they're coming from, which is why I ended up sort of, I wanted to include people who still believe, didn't believe, pagans, agnostics, etc., and include the whole lot in the book. I think it's, yeah, too easy to just become a fundamentalist in the other direction. Mm, excellent. No, I, I love that both of you share that in common as well. You know, some of our listeners may be wondering if they should deconstruct or as you both have pointed out, it's often not a conscious decision that someone makes at some point, but but may you know, be realizing for the first time that they're actually in a process of of deconstruction. What what advice would you each give to someone who's listening, you know, to this show and finds themselves in in that place? Preston? The person who realizes that they're they're in this process. Yes. What you're saying. Yeah. This is gonna this is gonna feel this feels more strange if you do it than when I say it, but be incredibly, be incredibly authentic with your questions and your answers, right? Don't don't try to ask the safe questions because that's safe. Otherwise you're 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 gonna get aggravated and then there's not gonna be movement. And that's what I was saying earlier. I think there's a lot of people in and, and Clearly, you know, Olivia even pointed this out. There's even clergy that are they're in this space of they they have questions, so they're gonna ask the safe questions. Ask the questions you need to ask and and then and then go for the answer or at least what is most right, right? That would be a more Jewish way of thinking about it. What is most right in the inform with the information that I have? So the experience and the education collide together and you're on a journey and and be okay with like Letting that lead you to another question, to another question, and to another question. I remember I put out kind of this survey online of, hey, what out of these top six things, what do you wish was people would deconstruct, evangelical Christians would deconstruct? And so many people are saying the traditional view of hell. And then, and I would write them and ask them why. And they said, because it actually ties into all the other ones, right? And, and, and being okay with it is a journey. So, if, Deconstruction is actually not a destination. You're not like, oh, I did it and I got the t-shirt and I rode the roller coaster and I survived. It's like, hey, I'm doing it and I'm asking questions that are deeply personal to me. I'm getting counseling if I need to. There's a lot of religious trauma counselors now that it's going to be so helpful for the church. We'll probably see the fruit of that in the next few years. But I'm just saying be incredibly authentic, do it with integrity and do it in community. So if you have a spouse, you just you, you'd have to be honest. That might result in marriage counseling. <laughs> you got to be honest with it. Do it in community, and if you have to leave the community you're part of, you have to leave the community you're part of. But otherwise, just trying it on and, and doing it a little bit, it's not authentic. 
there's not integrity to it and and it's actually going to be very aggravating to your soul mm. Mm. how yeah, about for you I, olivia i would absolutely agree with preston and i would sort of add into that in that authenticity trust yourself learn to trust yes. yourself one of the yeah. biggest things that came up in the interviews particularly amongst women was that they had been taught to not trust themselves they had very much had verses taken out of context and used against them about you know the heart is deceitful etc and they had systematically been taught not to trust themselves in their own instinct and actually part of deconstruction was a was a relearning how to trust themselves and i think if you're going to ask those questions with authenticity that is part of that learning process you know you've got to trust that you have authenticity that your questions are valid and in terms of you know finding community again trust yourself there are some very robust spaces online which are not necessarily particularly pleasant places they can be quite angry spaces and there's a space for anger for 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 a lot of people but again seeing actually you know what this is this is a bit toxic for me right now i need to get out of that or you know i need to find i need to find you know, friends who will support me and hold me in this and knowing that you're not alone that there are lots of us out there knowing that if you do find find a counselor and i think therapy is a is a huge again a huge thing a huge help in deconstruction for a lot of people but also being able to kind of go actually you know what i trust myself enough to know that this counselor is not right for me right now and again, that's coming back to that authenticity and learning to trust yourself. Mm. And, and then alongside trusting yourself, you know, you've alluded to it, but what voices would you also recommend having input from or coming alongside you in the context of this process? I, well, I mean, I certainly, there are certainly authors out there who I found hugely helpful. Sue Monkkid was definitely one of them. I think a lot of people have looked to people like Richard Raw, Marcus Borg, this kind of, it's, and it's also just opening up a whole world. For me, it was, you know, part of this at the beginning was opening up a whole world of authors that had been off, off limits, which was hugely freeing as well. But certainly, yeah, I, Kid, I, I, it's fantastic. And then there are, you know, there are spaces online. There are a lot of podcasts out there as well, which, people like Pete Enns with the Bible for Normal People Nomad podcast in the UK, where you do, you know, you get some scholarship, you get a variety of voices and it's learning to kind of go, okay, I can trust myself enough to to listen to this stuff and, and yeah, listen to yeah. it in, in, in good faith and learn from other voices. Yes. As a pastor, uh, Preston, I was wondering if someone starting this process of deconstruction but at the beginning of the process, uh, at least, let's say they still believe in God. How do you uh, counsel someone in terms of, you know, is is God one of the conversation partners that actually can interact in the context of this process, or or do you almost have to sort of bracket that in order to to move forward? How do you talk to people about that? You know, what's so interesting is, like Olivia mentioned, people like Richard Rohr, okay, which doesn't he doesn't just lead you to maybe some new uh, perspectives, but he has spiritual practices. Deconstructionists, like being in a deconstruction phase or space, spiritual practices are extremely helpful. So <clears throat> I, I know for me, if I'm pastoring someone who's going through this, typically, not all the time, but typically the ideas of prayer and Bible reading, you know, it, it's just, I'll just say this, it's such white noise because again, there's a reaction against what's been done 
And a lot of the, and like the antidote to a hard life was read your Bible more, pray more, all those sorts of things. And so finding refreshing ways to allow people to participate in communion with God, that's actually rooted back in Christianity, more in the Eastern uh, Christianity than Western, but it's rooted in Christianity. Spiritual practices are incredibly useful. So mm. I, I would, Excellent. I would not, I would not pastor someone away from communion with God, but I would pastor them towards a new way to commune with God. That's actually an ancient practice. Refreshing perspective perspectives are so compelling to someone who has a kind of reaction against the norm. Mm, that's a helpful nuance for either of you. How, how would your advice change or not when it comes to young people? I've at least heard some people you know, express particular concerns with young people going through this profound process of deconstruction, perhaps when, you know, there hasn't been that time to really substantially construct something in the first place. Does that impact at all um, your advice or not? And why? I'm going to let Olivia jump in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I one of the things I sort of notice as a, as a very broad, I, I suppose, it, it, without wishing to overgeneralize too much, but one of the things I noticed was that there were some some age demographics in terms of things which featured heavily in in people's deconstruction, and for people more or less over fifty, it was often more of a theological deconstruction, looking at things like substitutionary atonement and hell mm-hmm. and this kind of thing. For people from roughly kind of early 30s up to 50, particularly women, it was often purity culture. For people under 30, it was very much often values driven. So, you know, while you can say, well, you know, they haven't had time to de- to construct much of anything, they've certainly got values. And I think it's an extraordinary generation. You know, people throw out words like snowflake, but actually I'm kind of going, this is a generation which has such care for yeah. their community. Um, the values around things like racial justice, LGBTQ justice, environmental issues were very much, and and the church's, you know, lack of action on some of these issues were very much, you know, and and I had a friend the other day saying, you know, this is a missional issue. The church needs to get itself together on this because people are leaving over these issues. You know, it was very values values driven, and and people finding community which shared those values again. Yeah, that rings true in terms of that generational distinction, and that's really significant. Does that does that impact the way you advise whether someone is older or younger, Preston? You know, it, it does beg the question of like, why is the most cause-oriented generation so disconnected from the most cause-oriented organization in the world, right? Which would be the church, at, at least what we would say is the most cause-oriented organization. And so my, for me, it's like, as Olivia's talking, I'm like, oh yeah, it did kind of break, break up into age groups that way. I didn't have that insight until she was speaking, but I would say getting the specific, even of all generation, Hey, what's the, why that question? How can, how can I help you go through that question? And then also part of, to the younger generation, we have to allow them to answer differently. Right, churches kind of have capitalized on this. Say you can come here; it's a good place to ask questions. I'm like, that's not even the issue. The issue is, is it a is it a safe place to answer differently? And if the answer is no, well, then it's not a safe place to question. And so the younger generation needs to know, hey, you know, there is safety here. If you end up answering this in a different way than me, it's going to be okay. Yeah, excellent. I know it's been such a significant part of my own journey to be in communities that have allowed me 
to ask questions. And my training is in philosophy. And there were very deep questions from my parents from a young age that they didn't know what, what to do with. But, you know, I'm very thankful for the sort of versions of the Doubters Club that I sort of found organically along the way. And I always sort of thought that if, if God isn't big enough to deal with my questions, then that's an issue. <laughs> and you know, every question has a true answer. And if, if Christianity is true, then people should believe that all truth is in some way grounded of God in God. So people shouldn't be afraid of questions. They should welcome them and go on that journey together to wherever they lead. I, I want to give each of you an opportunity before we finish to maybe offer any advice that you would give to the church, or, or maybe like specifically, there are probably quite a few evangelical church leaders who are listening to this podcast. You know, Olivia, you have you know sat with people and heard their stories of how many have been hurt and why they've gone through this process of deconstruction. I don't know what your advice would be. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, if it's an evangelical church, it should it should close its doors. But maybe there's also some advice in the direction of how the church and church leaders in particular can better support people who are going through this process of deconstruction. I think, again, it's it's the matter of, you know, trusting the people in your care. You know, they are, they are thinking, feeling beings, and they're not just trying to rebel and throw it all out the window. You know, they're on an honest process, an honest journey, and it's worth listening to people and and supporting them as best they can. And they may leave, but actually letting them do that and not ostracizing them. It's, you know, it, it's a terrifying thing to leave community. People aren't doing it because they hate you. You know, they're asking honest questions and, and allow your church to be a space, a safe space for those honest questions. Because, you know, the questions are bigger than any one church. And the questions, you know, if if God is who the church claims God is, then then God is going to be big enough to hold those questions. Mm, wonderful. Yeah, I've always appreciated the fact that Jesus so frequently responded to people's questions with questions. And I think that was partly because he, he did want to understand the depth of what was behind someone's question rather than to rush to give the, the right answer. Uh, how about for you, Preston, you know, with the Doubters Club, You've interacted with so many people who have been disillusioned by the church, the evangelical church in particular. What advice would you give to leaders that are listening right now? Oh, to leaders, you know, I would say if your theology is hurting your relationships and not healing them, there is something that's just not Jesus-centric about the foundation of what you've built. I would also say to the leaders, if you're kind of on the fringe and you're keeping quiet, but you're asking the same questions as your congregants, but you just know your paycheck doesn't allow you to do that, find another way to get a paycheck because we don't want to perpetuate the problem. We want to, again, we want to be a shepherd and to lead and to guide. And so please be authentic. And so that would be kind of both sides of the coin, right? One person mm. who's deconstructing, but in the closet about it, and the other person who's not deconstructing, but they realize their relationships are hurt when their theology comes to the surface. Yes. That, that would be my advice. Excellent. Uh, personally, I think we need a lot more of this, the sort of listening in the context of real relationship that both of you have modeled. It's too easy to point the finger critically at those who are deconstructing and never ask the question why they're deconstructing. And maybe sometimes in the church, uh, we are afraid to ask that question because we fear we might be part of the answer, or at least I can say personally that I have known 
uh, that temptation. We have to leave it there uh, for today. Thank you very much to my guests, Olivia Jackson and Preston Almer. Thank you both for befriending and giving voice to so many whose stories need to be heard. Thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. As always, we love to hear your feedback. Keep the conversation going. Email us. And until next time, I'm Vince Vitale, and you have been listening to Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Some people talk about seeing deceased relatives and communicating with them. This idea of floating up out of your body and watching things happen and being able to describe it afterwards, that could be formed in your imaginative mind. Conscious experience and brain processes are two fundamentally different things. I wonder if we're talking about... Would you like me to go out for a bit? You guys seem really happy. (laughs) The brain, consciousness and near-death experiences do they point to an afterlife? Christian apologist and former neuroscientist Sharon Dirks debates this issue with atheist philosopher from Oxford University, Emily Qureshi Hurst, as part of our series of The Big Conversation on Unbelievable, 28th of July. If you sign up at thebigconversation.show, however, you can watch this episode a whole week early from the 21st of July instead. So sign up now at the Big Conversation dot show.